We are very pleased to welcome back to our community Pastor Keith Whitaker. I had not met Keith before. I've heard so much about him. When I saw him, I said, I thought you were going to be old. <laughs> and he's not. But you're a legend. <laughs> Welcome. We're so glad you're here. <laughs> you're welcome. I have a whole speech about oh, you. Okay. Shall you I say it? Please stand here. Well, stand here. Like it's, a, it's not a eulogy, okay, but you know, it lifts you I up. I feel like the last so. speech about me from the stage felt that way. Thank oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. so okay, so it does mention soccer. Okay, so that's the Dave Sattler little connection there. So Keith served on our, for those who don't know him, Keith served on our North Shore Alliance staff team for 10 years. You're older than you look, I think, maybe. Uh, yes. uh, maybe, okay. Mostly as our young adults pastor, but he also helped with small groups, soccer ministry, and he was a regular part of our preaching team. So you cut your teeth here. We're looking to see how you're going to do today. It's going to be good. Not only that, Keith is legendary. Everybody I talked to him said, I hope we're not having a baptism this week. Because twice, Keith flooded the baptismal tank, and it ran down into the basement. He was trying to baptize all the kids at the same time. That's why we have such a sanctified church. Well, it's the reason you have an overflow valve. I think that's probably why. Anyway, we welcome you. Uh, we you. know God has brought you here. God oh, bless, bless you. you. Yeah, bless you. Hey, thank you, Bronwyn. And, uh, and thanks to Jeremy. I know he's not here, but uh, uh, thankful to be here and, and be invited. This is something uh, of, a, of a homecoming for me. Uh, as a young adult, this was where my faith was awoken in a new way, uh, along with my wife, Gina, who couldn't be here this morning. She wished she could, but uh, as a young adult, I had a reawakening uh, in faith uh, here. Uh, we would come on a Saturday night when there was a Saturday night service, and, uh, and Jesus was doing something in me and uh, in those years as a young adult, and I was baptized in the tank uh, some, uh, I don't know, it was about 22 years ago, alongside my wife, Gina. Um, and it's amazing how time flies, actually. It's been nine years since I've been here, and I know this isn't about me, but I did want to just say a couple things. Uh, so many things have happened in these nine years. It was actually nine years ago to the day uh, that my wife and I were sent from this church. We were commissioned from this church to go to a church in Kelowna. Uh, and we've been there for nine years to the day. We moved to Kelowna on July 30th, 2014. Uh, and so uh, uh, here we are nine years later. My kids were, were three and five years old when we, when we left, uh, and now they're 14 and 12. Uh, and it's, a, it's amazing uh, to be part of a spiritual family that grows you up, pours into you, and sends you out. It, it's a picture of the gospel. It's a picture of the kingdom. It's, it's what happens. Uh, and, and, and it's a delight for me to be here uh, as I, uh, this morning. I cut my teeth, as you said, uh, in ministry here at the church. I was chasing some punk teenage kids around the church with Travis Gunther uh, a number of years ago. Some of you punk uh, teenagers are still here. <laughs> it's a picture of the gospel. It's what the kingdom does. And it's a delight to, to be here. Hey, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump uh, right in this morning. You've been preaching through uh, a series where you're looking at the characters in the New Testament. Uh, 
And today I want to focus your attention on a particular character in the New Testament. Uh, and it's maybe not the most likely of characters uh, because this character isn't a real person but rather is the main character in one of the parables that Jesus teaches. And it's in Luke chapter 18, and I'll get to the text in just a moment, so you can turn there uh, before we get to the text. But, but I want to look at this character in one of Jesus' parables because this woman in this parable, she has a great deal to teach us about faith. She has a great deal to teach us about what it means to live this Christian faith that Jesus has called us into. And before I get into the text, uh, let, me, let me simply, let me begin with this. As I, I mentioned, my daughter Sophia, she's 14 years old now, and so she's at this age where, where she's starting to get these babysitting gigs around our neighborhood. Uh, and, and this had me thinking the other day about, about the times that Jean and I would, would go out and we would hire a babysitter for ourselves. Actually, Lynn Gunther was one of them back when our kids were, were young. And there was always this moment when, when we were driving home after an evening away where, where I would wonder, what am I going to find when I open that door? <laughs> I wondered if the babysitter had survived the evening with my children. <laughs> I wondered if my kids had made a wild mess of the house. I, I wondered if the babysitter had the wherewithal to clean up the dishes after dinner. <laughs> you know that thought? I wondered what I was going to see when I walked through the door. Maybe you've had that feeling. I know I have the same thought when we go away on a holiday because sometimes we'll ask someone to come and look after our house and our dog while we're away. And when I come home, I always wonder, what am I going to find when I open the door? And most of the time, I'm delighted. There's signs of care, a clean house, flowers on the counter. There was one time that there was even fresh milk in our fridge. We've got some good neighbors. But do you know the feeling? Returning after a long absence, do you wonder what you'll find when you come home? Well, Jesus wondered that question in Luke chapter 18. It's in verse 8. He says, when the Son of Man comes, now that was Jesus' favorite way of referring to himself, the Son of Man. He says, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith upon the earth? Jesus wonders what he will find when he steps back upon the earth. What do you think Jesus hopes to find when he returns? What do you think Jesus hopes to find in your life when Jesus returns. Turn with me to Luke chapter 18. Luke 18. I'll start in verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and never give up. He said, in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, 
grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because, of the, because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith upon the earth? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Jesus, as we begin this morning... Uh, no, 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 Lord. We began long before. As we sit under your word in worship, we pray, Holy Spirit, in a way that only you can do, that you would make us the church in every sense of the word. Give us ears to hear, Spirit, what you want to say to your church. And we pray, Lord, that as we focus our attention on this, this woman in the parable, that you would fill us afresh with all that we need so that we might be the people of God. And so lead us, we pray. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So Jesus begins kind of, well, he, he ends in this text, but, but he asks the question, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith upon the earth? And now, the parable that, that Jesus tells here in Luke 18, it deals with this question in the sense that it speaks about the kind of faith that Jesus hopes to find. When he comes back, it, it, it deals with what he hopes to find. In other words, if you want to know what faith looks like, if you want to know what genuine, ongoing, God-pleasing faith looks like, we can turn to this parable for an answer. Now, to be sure, it is not the whole answer. There, there's more to say, but, but it, it puts its finger on the pulse of, of what God's desire is for us as we wait for his return. And now, the parable has two characters. Right? The first is the judge. And we're told two things about, about the judge. First, we're told that he doesn't fear God. We're told that, that he, he doesn't fear God, which means he doesn't respect or, or, or follow God's ways one bit. And second, we're told that he doesn't care what people think, which can be translated saying that he is not ashamed before people. He's not ashamed before people. The world that Jesus lived in was this honor-shame society. And, and if someone said to you that you're not ashamed before people, it's basically like them saying, you're a scumbag. <laughs> we allowed to say that in church? I'm sure every church is scumbags okay. Sarah's giving me the, the nod. Thanks, Sarah. Yeah, we can say that. <laughs> it basically means you're a scoundrel. This is a scoundrel judge. So, so there's this judge who doesn't care about God. He doesn't care what God thinks. He doesn't care what other people think, which really makes a pretty lousy judge, if you're to ask me. 
And this kind of judge is the kind of person who only serves themselves. They take bribes. They make judgments, not based on what's right and wrong, but on what benefits them and benefits their friends. That's the judge. Now, the second character, the one that I, I want to focus your attention on this morning, is the character of the widow. Now, you know that in Jesus' day, widows, they belonged to this class of society that was highly marginalized, and, and they were vulnerable. In the eyes of, of the first century world, widows actually had three strikes against them. They were women without power. They had no husband protector, which is simply how it worked in that day. And they were often poor. They were most often poor. And this was a recipe for a very difficult life. This woman would have had a very difficult life. And we're told that this, this powerful widow comes to a powerful judge with a request. And the request is in, in verse 3. She says, grant me justice against my adversary. Now, Jesus doesn't tell us who this adversary is or, or what they have done against this poor widow. But, but we can assume that she's been taken advantage of in some way or another. And most likely it was financially, whether a debt that was owed to her hadn't been repaid or, or maybe it was an inheritance that hadn't been given to her or some other financial injustice. We don't know. But regardless, she brings her complaint to the judge to make right what had been done wrong. Grant me justice. That's what this woman wants, justice. And now, justice in this context is an appeal for two things. First, she, she's asking for protection. You see, on, on her own, the, the widow is powerless and, and she's vulnerable. So she appeals to the powers above for their protection. She wants to be protected. And second, the woman is asking to be made whole. To be made whole. There's this concept in the justice system called being made whole. And, and maybe there's some lawyers in the congregation. You, you understand this concept. It's the idea that when, when someone has been damaged in some way, justice demands that the damages are, are repaired and the person is made whole again. If you've been cheated out of money, Justice requires that, that not only the money be paid back, but the victim be made whole wherever there are damages. And so this woman cries out to these, the powers that be, and she's, she's saying, grant me justice. Use your powers not only to protect me, but to restore to me what has been withheld from me. Make me whole again. And now, I want you to notice that that her appeal isn't for revenge. She isn't looking for her adversary to be punished for their crime. Rather, she simply wants to be made whole. Grant me justice. Seems like a pretty reasonable plea, doesn't it? Maybe one that we've all prayed in one way, shape, or form in our life. Grant me justice, Jesus. Protect me. Make me whole. And the text tells us that the judge refuses her. 
And now in the Jewish legal system, there were two cases that had special precedence. There were cases involving orphans and cases involving widows. They took precedence. They were seen first in the courts, which means that this woman's God-given rights were being violated by this unjust judge. And so we get this picture of, of this woman, this, this character, and her back is being pressed up against a wall. She has so much against her in life. She is a woman in a man's world. She is too weak in her status to compel the judge to make her whole, and she's too poor to pay him off and buy his protection. You know, we need to understand this. We have to see this about this woman because uh, Jesus is setting up this story deliberately because he wants us to understand that sometimes in life, we feel like our back is being pressed up against the wall, like there is so much against us. You know, the disciples who were there that day, when they heard this story, they were about to experience this in a profound way. Their backs were about to be pushed right up against the wall. You see, they were literally moments away from this head-to-head -head opposition from the powers of both Judaism and the Roman Empire because they were moments away from the weekend where Jesus was to be betrayed, arrested, beaten, and executed on a Roman cross at the request of the religious leaders. The disciples' faith was about to be tested greatly. And the truth of the matter is, in different ways, shapes, and forms, all of our faith is tested. Sometimes we feel like our backs are against the wall, like we, we have very few options. And now different people experience this in different ways. Of course, there are certain people in our society who feel like their backs are pressed against the wall, that, that, they're, that they're somewhat powerless against the forces that come against them. But the truth of the matter is, all of us experience this in one way, shape, or form. Our faith is tested because times are hard. Our faith is tested in seasons of hardship like financial hardships, or marriage troubles, or health complications, or in the wake of tragedies, or, or even in the cultural pressures that we face, our faith is tested. In all of this, our faith in Jesus, it's stressed and stretched, it's, it's put to the test. And we're faced with, with all kinds of questions in these moments of life, like, like where are you, God? Do you even care? Do you even see me? Are you even powerful enough to rescue me? Like the widow, we cry out to God for protection. We cry out for his rescue to make us whole again. When your back is against the wall, your faith is tested. And that's what Jesus is getting at here. That's what we need to wrap our mind around. But I, I want to take a moment uh, from, from the text to say that there, there's another scenario where our faith is greatly tested. You see, our, great, our faith is tested in moments when our back is pressed against the wall, but it is also greatly tested during those seasons where everything is going our way. Our faith is actually most often tested when the sun is shining down on us, 
when things are going well. Pastor Eugene Peterson, he tells a story in his book, the Hallelujah, This Hallelujah Banquet. This is what he writes. He says, a few years ago, on a bright spring Sunday, I met a man I had not seen in years at the entrance to our sanctuary. He had once been an active member of our church, but had dropped out years before. I was surprised to see him and said, Jimmy, what in the world are you doing here? It's great to see you, but how come you chose today? He responded, I woke up this morning feeling great, and I just had to say thank you. My business is going great, my kids are great, and the day is wonderful. And I, I had to say thank you to someone, and God seemed the only one adequate to receive all the thanks that I'm feeling. And so he did. He worshipped with us that day. He gave thanks. And I haven't seen him since. See, sometimes our faith is tested the most when the sun is shining down and everything is going great. And Jesus asks, when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith upon the earth? For the woman in Jesus' story, the sun was not shining down on her. Rather, her back was against the wall. It was her test of faith. And what Jesus wants us to see in her story is, is certainly her persistence. She didn't give up. She persisted so much that the judge finally gives in. Look at verses 4 and 5. It says, but finally he, the judge, said to himself... Even though I don't fear God or, or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come back and attack me. What a picture. In the original language, the word for, come, uh, for attack me is, is, is from the world of boxing, the world of first century boxing. It, it literally means to get punched underneath the eye. And it's a metaphor. The judge is saying, I'm going to relent. I'm, I'm going to grant this woman justice because she's just going to keep coming back and giving me a headache. She persists. What does faith upon the earth look like? It looks like a powerless widow whose back is being pressed against the wall and she doesn't give with the odds stacked against her, she persists in her cry for justice. She persists in her cry for protection. She persists in her cry to be made whole. That's what faith looks like upon the earth. See, this is the only parable in the Bible that is explained before it is told. It's explained in verse 1 before Jesus tells the parable. Look, it says, Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. What does Jesus hope to see when he returns? What does faith look like upon the earth? It looks like someone who always prays and never gives up. 
this parable is being told in a, in a how much more style. Meaning that Jesus is saying, if, if a powerless widow can affect justice from a scoundrel judge, how much more will our loving Heavenly Father attend to his children's cry for justice? How much more? Church, here's the true power of prayer. The true power of prayer, it doesn't come from, from how often we pray. This parable isn't teaching us to, to simply pester God with our requests until he finally relents, gives in, and gives us what we want. It's not what the parable's about at all. The power, the, the power of prayer isn't, it isn't in how often we pray. It isn't in how we pray, but rather... The power of prayer rests in the fact that when we pray, God actually hears us. God is actually listening. There is no greater power than having the ear of the powerful God. No matter your station in life, God hears you when you pray. He hears powerless widows and perpetual sinners alike. He hears us when we pray, and that is the power of prayer. Think about this. There is a God who created everything that you see. He created the cosmos. He hung the stars in their place. And he is called El Shaddai, the Almighty One. He, he made the immovable mountains, yet he can move them with a single word. And every moment that you pray, this Almighty One is stirred to your attention. He's attuned to your prayer. This was the secret to this widow's might. The power of prayer is that whenever the powerless pray, those prayers are heard by a powerful God. Let me say it again. The power of prayer is that whenever the powerless pray, those prayers are heard by a powerful God. Amen, Sarah. Yes. And a while back, I, I sprained my ankle playing soccer. And if you've ever seen me play soccer, you would know why I sprained my ankle. I'm the clumsy one on the pitch. I see you, Mark Strunenberg. See you in your, your jersey there, attaboy. It'd be nice to get on the pitch with you again. Three weeks, I, I, I went to the physio because I sprained my ankle playing soccer. And the physio said that the first available spot was three weeks away. <laughs> so they put me on the cancellation list. Church, God is not like my physio, thankfully. He doesn't leave people alone in their pain for three weeks after they call. He doesn't wait to clear his schedule to attend to our call for his justice, his protection, the, the prayer where we ask him to make us whole. The power in prayer is the fact that God actually attends to us when we pray. He hears and he acts. That's what the parable tells us. Look at verse 7 and 8. And will not God bring about justice to his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice, and quickly. 
when we pray, God hears and God acts. Now, of course, God doesn't always act the way that we want him to act. We all know that, sometimes painfully. But make no mistake about it. When we pray, those prayers are taken into the very heart of God, and they are acted upon. And that's what makes prayer so powerful to the powerless. God hears and God acts. But here's the point of the parable that, that no one can miss today. Robust, genuine, God-pleasing faith is, is a product of people uh, who pray like the widow prayed, persistently, fervently, frequently, in season and out of season. You see, prayer is, is like this, this vehicle that brings us to the destination that we call faith. I mean, think about this. What, what does it mean to have Christian faith? What does that mean? It means that, that we have a, a relationship with Jesus Christ, of course. That, that's what Christian faith means, that we, we have union with him. And it's through our union with Christ that we have this relationship with the God who made us and loves us. This is the core of what it means to have Christian faith. It's an ongoing relationship. A relationship to the Father, through the Son, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And if Christian faith is, is a relationship, then, then prayer then becomes this vehicle that brings us to the destination. Prayer is, is actually how we live into a relationship with God. I remember a wise person once said, it's a little bit like a, a glass. And the glass is like prayer that, that brings to us the life-giving relationship of Jesus, the water in the glass. Without the glass of prayer, we can't receive the relationship. Do you know who that wise person was? Mark Peters. <laughs> who knew you could teach me something, Mark? And it's, it's absolutely right. That, that prayer is like this vehicle that brings us to the destination of faith. You see, faith cannot come through a Bible study. Faith can't come through a Bible study. Faith can't come through a sermon. Because these things cannot carry your relationship with God. A sermon can inform your relationship. It can in inspire your relationship. But it can never carry your relationship with God. Only prayer can do that. Only prayer. Charles Finney was a, a great revivalist preacher in the Second Great Awakening. This was a, a man who had turned the hearts of hundreds of thousands of people to Christ. Some counts say it was 500,000 people were, 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 came to know Jesus through this person, through Charles Finney's preaching. And he said this. The great preacher said this. We have had instruction until we are hardened. It is now time for us to pray. See, the great preacher knew that, that faith without prayer is dead. 
persistent, ongoing prayer in season and out of season. You see, when, when, we, when we give up on prayer, we lose heart. And when we lose heart, we end up losing faith. And so Jesus tells us this, so, this story in order to say, always pray and never give up. Always pray and never give up. And to be honest, these words can feel a little cliché at times. You feel that? I've been walking with some friends at our church who are struggling with life events, some difficult things. And they've been faithful in prayer, like, like I mean, calluses on your knees, faithful in prayer. And they cry out to God for protection. They, they cry out to God to be made whole. It's like this widow's prayer for justice. But at times, they're, they're so deeply discouraged because they, they feel like God isn't listening to them at all because their prayers are not going answered the way that they would like them to be answered. And so when I stand in solidarity with these friends, standing shoulder to shoulder with them, and I say, always pray and never give up, it can feel a little bit like empty advice, if I'm to be honest like a mantra that looks good on a motivational poster, right? You picture a cat hanging onto a branch. Always pray and never give up. It can feel that way. But that's not what Jesus is talking about. Church, don't miss this. The power of these words always pray and never give up. The power of these words rests in the person who's actually speaking them. And in the parable, it is Jesus who is speaking these words. And when Jesus speaks these words, it makes all the difference. You see, when I say always pray and never give up, you can only ever hear it as encouragement because I stand shoulder to shoulder with the person I speak them to. If I were to say to you, always pray and never give up, it can only ever be encouragement because I don't know how things will turn out in your life. I don't know the pain or the trauma or the powerlessness that you've faced, and I certainly don't know the way out of it. But Jesus does. So when Jesus says, always pray and never give up, he's speaking these words from a very different vantage point than I am. You see, Jesus suffered the worst the world could ever throw at a person. He was crushed under the weight of the world's ugliest sin and the greatest tragedies. But that dark power couldn't hold him down because three days later he rose from the grave. And now he is ascended to the right hand of God the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. And the suffering servant, Jesus, now sits on the throne of the universe and he says, behold, I am making all things new. He knows how the future will unfold. He knows that justice will prevail with him in it. He knows that every tear will be wiped away in victory and he knows how your story will turn out with him in it. And looking upon you from that vantage point,
He calls out to you and says, always pray and never give up because you will be made whole as you keep the faith. He will see that you get justice. There are some people here today that are ready to throw in the towel. You're ready to give up on this Christian faith. It might be because of hardship, or perhaps it's simply apathy. And what you need to hear more than anything else today is the voice of Jesus, who is speaking into your present situation from his future perspective. And he says, always pray and never give up. May that be how Jesus finds his church when the Son of Man returns. Let's pray. Jesus, you have the words of life. And what grace you've bestowed on us to share those words through your, your living word, the scriptures. But also, Jesus, you speak words of life to us through your Holy Spirit as we pray. And so, Jesus, I want to make space for people in this room. Maybe there's some people who are ready to throw in the towel. If this is you, I just pray that you grab the towel a little closer. And just say, Jesus, I'm willing to pray again. And Jesus, even in that little act of faith, I pray you'd move mountains bring life back. Jesus, for those who, who, who are feeling a sense of apathy, they're bored. If, if that's you, I, Jesus, I pray that you would you'd speak to those bored hearts as they pray. And Lord, for people in this room who feel like their backs are against the wall, Hear their cry for justice. Oh, Jesus, we pray that you'd come quickly. And for all of us, as we pray, as we never give up, we ask that your kingdom would come afresh upon us and that you would draw us into the fullness of life, even in the midst of struggle. Because Jesus, we want to be your church in every sense of the word. We are your people. So lead us.